word Advent is from Latin, means to come. It means we're waiting for something to come. I think it's really interesting and kind of odd that the church always creates this Advent time before Christmas. We are forcing ourselves to wait for Jesus. We are forcing ourselves to wait for Christmas. But it's always weird to me because I think, well, wasn't Jesus already born? Like, that happened 2,000 years ago. What exactly are we waiting for again? What exactly, why are we doing this thing? Well, I think it's really important that we as Christians, we as Americans, we enter into processes and times of waiting because we're not used to it in any other form, right? Other places, other parts of our world, it's not about waiting. It's about getting what you want immediately, right? As far as shopping goes, I was shopping for some Christmas gifts online for the kids. I looked and it said, um, it'll arrive in five days. I was like, five days? I'm not waiting for that. So I didn't buy it because I can't wait five days. <laughs> I paused and I thought, how ridiculous is that? I can get almost anything I want within a week. When else has anybody ever lived where they can get almost anything they want within a week? It's weird. And then when we're told to wait, we cringe and we hate it. But that's exactly what we do here in the church because we say waiting is good. There's times to stop and think about what we are waiting for. What are we hoping for from God? What do we need? We need to pause and wait, not jump straight into the celebration, but to pause and wait. Israel was waiting. Israel, the people of God, the, the people that Jesus came to through, they were waiting. Israel's hope was that the Messiah would bring liberation. Liberation. They are a people that have known over and over again oppression, defeat, conquering, in slavery, right? And so Israel, think about them, after they were established as a nation, there were wars. They split into two different nations, North Israel, South Israel. The North gets obliterated by the Assyrians, the south gets taken into captivity by Babylon. And from there on, Israel has known nothing but captivity. After the Babylonians come, the Syrians come. After the Syrians come, the Greeks come. After the Greeks come, the Roman Empire comes in. And hundreds of years go by, and Israel doesn't have a king. But they have prophets. And they hear, God has a plan. God is going to do something. God is going to restore you. God is going to reestablish the line of kings. The word Messiah means anointed one. It means somebody that's smeared with oil, which is a strange idea for the Roman and the Greek folks. They don't understand that word. But if you were from Israel, you understood that Messiah meant your king. They wouldn't have a coronation. They would have an anointing. Their anointed one was the king. And so there was word that a Messiah was coming. A Messiah was going to bring liberation to set them free. There was a forerunner to the Messiah, John the Baptist, and we talked about him last week. John the Baptist said, I got to get these people ready. God has called me to get people ready for uh, the Messiah. So he says, he looks at his religious order, he looks at the religious order of Judaism, he says, wait, you're doing it all wrong. The rituals aren't as important as you think they are. You don't have to be cleansed in the perfect, pristine pools in front of the temple. You can be baptized right here in this muddy river. 
You don't have to eat all the perfect things and follow the dietary restrictions. What matters is your heart. You can eat bugs and honey like I do. You don't have to wear the right clothes. You, all that matters is your heart is turned toward God. And he demonstrated this by wearing crazy hair and wearing camel's hair uh, cloaks and, and leather belts. He, wasn't, he was proving to the people that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to have your heart turned to God. This is how you'll be ready for the kingdom. This is how you'll be ready for the liberation that Jesus is going to bring. John the Baptist is preaching this good news. He's preaching it out to the people. And then um, Jesus shows up one day. Jesus shows up one day. He stops the procession. He stops the, the partying. He says to the whole crowd, stop. Look, here he is. This is the guy that we've been waiting for. Behold, the Lamb of the world who takes away, the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus comes to John the Baptist. John says, what are you doing here? Jesus says, I'm here to get baptized. I'm here to join in with your message, with your movement. I agree wholeheartedly with what you're doing out here. I'm one of you. John says, ah, no, 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 no. You should be baptizing me. Jesus says, baptize me. And so John, I imagine, pours the water on Jesus' head, baptizes him, says, turn your heart to God. As Jesus is being baptized, the heavens open up. People see something like a dove, a spirit of God landing on Jesus. The heavens open up and the voice shouts out from heaven, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And I imagine like this is this crazy glorious moment. And then the heavens close up. Jesus says, thank you. And walks away. What a weird moment. Like, okay, now we're going to overthrow Rome, right? Rome wasn't overthrown right in that moment. Now we're going to fix the temple. We're going to fix all the sacrifice and all the issues and all the politics and all the bureaucracy that's in and around our religious order, right? No. Jesus is like, you know, I got a cousin that's getting married in the next town over. I got to go to that. See ya. And he just goes away. And I wonder what's going on in John's mind. John gave his entire life to challenge the political and religious order of the day and to prepare the people for this new reality, this new freedom. And the moment Jesus comes, Jesus just goes. And it's not like that freedom happens for everybody immediately. And I start to wonder how John feels about this. What's happening? Aren't you the Messiah? John continues his ministry. He continues to challenge the religious order and the political order. The king, Herod, at that time, he uh, kills his brother and marries his wife. John decides to speak out against this. This is wrong. This is evil. Nobody else would speak out against the king because the king had all the power. So he stands up to the king, says, you can't do this. You can't rule a nation, try to pretend to be righteous, lead these people, kill your brother and marry your sister-in-law. It isn't right. When John the Baptist speaks up, speaks truth to power, does the right thing, he's thrown into prison. He's thrown into prison. 
And from prison, he's wondering, and I imagine, you do your whole life to challenge the political and religious order. You give your whole life to prepare the way for the Messiah that's going to give this liberation. And you do all this good, and yet you only suffer. In prison, John says to Jesus, did I get it wrong? Are you the one or not? Did I back the wrong horse? What is happening? Are you going to live up to your word and be the Messiah? Are you going to set us free? Or am I just wrong on all this? Am I in the wrong religion? Are you real? Is the kingdom of God really happening? Jesus' response is interesting. Jesus is always this kind of practices what I would call subversive humility. Jesus doesn't stand up and say, yep, I am the Messiah. Don't worry, I'm going to take care of it all. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm the king. We're preparing an army. We're going to take over Rome. He never answers a question straight. Wouldn't it be nice if Jesus and God just kind of answered a question straight? Wouldn't that be nice every now and then? Instead, he, um, Jesus says to John, he says, he, uh, instead, what Jesus does is he points to the joyful things that are happening. He doesn't answer for himself, but he says, look around. Good stuff is happening. John is in prison. The only thing that he can see is his own suffering, is his own understanding that those who do right continue to hurt. I'm trying to do right, but I'm continuing to suffer. Jesus says, look at the good stuff that's happening. Look at the joyful things that are happening around. Good things are happening. Then Jesus references um, Isaiah chapter 35 and Isaiah chapter uh, 61. And he says, this is what's happening. The, the deaf can hear, the blind can see, the sick are healed. Good news is being preached to the poor. Good stuff is happening. I'll let you decide if the kingdom of heaven is still coming. I'll let you decide if I really am the Messiah. Look around. Good things are happening. Focus on those joyful things. I think a lot of times we can feel like John. And when we feel like John, God points us to the beautiful things that are happening around us. We have to be called, we have to seek out the good and the beautiful things. The nasty stuff, the difficult news, that's always in front of our face. It's easy to sell to us. Our bodies, it's almost like biological. We are attracted to bad news. We see it. We, we want to hear more of it. I think it's something about our bodies. We, we want to we be aware of danger. So bad news can get sensationalized. But God is calling us to look at the good things that are happening. One of the good things I think is happening here is happening this week, our Christmas sharing project. We gather food and gifts for 52 families to say to them, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you can celebrate. You don't have to go hungry this week. You don't have to go hungry. This is one of the good and beautiful things that's, that God is pointing to us. That's never going to make the news. It's not going to make the news. But it's a good and beautiful thing that's happening through our church. I mentioned earlier in the announcements, Oaxaca. Two years ago, we went to Oaxaca because this poor, small town, 
a small town of San Mateo del Mar. The only way you can get to this small town is by driving through a trash dump. They didn't have clean water for over a year, or for almost a year. The earthquake happened in the fall of uh, 2017, and they were making choices of either drinking dirty water and being sick, or not drinking water and being sick. But through this church, we provided 120 water filters that provides 120 million liters of water, fresh, clean water, essentially unending water, to this community. We distributed them to schools and to houses and to churches. And it's no exaggeration to say that some lives were saved because of our work in Oaxaca. God says, open your eyes to the good things that are happening. Our denomination we're a huge denomination, about 10 million strong around the world. And when we gathered together this last decade, I don't know if you can see this, we, we gathered around for a, a project that we called Imagine No Malaria. And in a decade, we raised over $75 million. We uh, partnered with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Health Organization. And because of our work, we reduced death by malaria by 60%. A decade ago, a child died of malaria every 30 seconds. We have reduced that by more than half. Good stuff is happening. Good work is happening. Another, another group that I follow is International Justice Mission. International Justice Mission, they go and they set slaves free. They find people who are caught in human trafficking or slavery. They bring in lawyers. They bring in social workers. They bring in police force. And they eradicate slavery where they are. In September and October, they arrested 91 traffickers, and they set free 95 human slaves. 33 of them were children. They are doing this work all the time, and good news is happening. People are being set free we can keep going bigger. We can look at the macro statistics. Uh, there's a book out that's called Enlightenment Now that takes a look at some of the bigger world issues. Our world poverty is plummeting. Uh, infant mortality rates are, are dying away. We live in a world where a six-year-old who gets a spontaneous brain bleed can survive and have a full recovery. We live in the most peaceful time as far as war goes, the last 50 years have been the least deadliest due to international conflict in all of human history. When we stop and feel like John the Baptist and say, hey, is the kingdom of God really coming or not? God, are you really at work in our world? God points us to some of these lights and says, yes, look, thirsty are getting water. Malaria is being eradicated health is on the rise. Poverty is decreasing. Yes, things are happening. The kingdom is coming. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor Rick, we can't just be ignorant and ignore the suffering in the world. There's tons of suffering in the world. Absolutely. The bad news is going to get into our lives, right? We don't have to go out looking for bad news. Bad news comes to you. Bad news is looking for you. 
Now, here's the thing. If we are people that seek out the joyful news, if we are people that seek out the good news that God is doing, that doesn't mean we are, those, those who seek out the joyful news are not people who ignore the, the needs of the world. Instead, we are the people that move to the needs of the world with greater hope and strength. When we see what God has done, we know what is possible and how much more God can do. We aren't people that are ignorant of the needs of the world, but when we look at the joyful good news that God has done, then we can move quicker and with more strength and with more spirit to the needs because we know God has brought us to this point and we believe God will get us to the next point. This is the news that Jesus shares with John while he's in prison. That's kind of a, it can be a tough pill to swallow. John never gets out of prison. He never sees the creation of the church. He never sees the movement of God that comes out of Jesus Christ. But John had a role to play to prepare the people for Jesus. And even though he doesn't get to see the glory in his life, God says the word to him, it is happening. It is being done. I don't know. I'm still pretty hopeful. I'm still pretty hopeful that all things will be made right, that God will right every wrong and wipe away every tear, that there will be no more hunger and thirst, and there will be no more pain, and that death will be no more. That's what I'm hoping for. That's what I believe in. I don't know if we'll see that in my lifetime. Maybe not. Maybe not. But I know that God is using whatever work I give to make this world better. I know that God is using whatever energy I have to give to establish his kingdom so that our prayer, that thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will come to fruition. That prayer will be answered. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you are like John the Baptist in prison wondering is goodness really ever going to happen? Is this kingdom ever going to happen? Or if maybe you were like Jesus' disciples who went with him to that wedding in Cana and watched him turn water into wine and continued to watch him heal the sick, give sight to the blind, lift up people. And so you are excited and you know. Wherever you are in that spectrum, God is saying, to you look for the joyful things look for the good news that is happening and let that energize you to move more quickly to the need of this world i like to end every sermon with um some next steps or action steps i like to think because uh, i i feel like i we always need to leave our, with okay what do i do with this idea what do i do with these sermons and uh, i think today's action steps are a little bit obvious but the first one is look for the good news that's happening I don't want to like trash our media, but bad news is an easy sell. Bad news attracts our eyes. And so it's always in their best interest to report bad news. If we want good news, we have to go look for it. We have to go and look for it. So here's just two ways that I go looking for good news. I follow International Justice Mission on social media, and there they share the work that they're doing. A lot of it is quiet, and a lot of it they can't announce because um, they're doing incredible work. But when they have a moment to share of some freedom and some release of captives or prosecution of slave traders, 
Um, man, it is a joyful thing. It is a beautiful thing. Um, I also read uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation letter every year. Um, they're at work uh, eliminating poverty, um, raising up world health, and their letter is always inspirational to me. It's always a way for me to say, um, to get inspired of what God is doing in our world. So those are just two ways that I get, that I go looking for good news. What are some other ways that you can go looking for good news in your world? Second, God is, um, God is at work making things right in this world, and we got to understand who God is. What does right mean to God? It's not what does right mean to you, but what does right mean to God? And how can we know what God means by right if we aren't actively, regularly spending time with God and seeking God and, and what God wants done in this world? So, I put together a daily devotional. It's online. You can find it at our website under the Grow tab. Um, I call it a GPS, Grow, Pray, Study Guide, and every day I give a little scripture and a little thought on those scriptures so that um, kind of start you out in your thinking and your meditating and in your time with God. If you don't have a way to get away from all the burdens and all the things that are ca uh, calling to your attention, calling after your attention, if you don't have a way to get away and pause and pray, I encourage you to use the GPS. It's a free, easy way for you to get out of your world for just a moment, be with God, and to allow God to direct you and guide you. So I encourage you to use that. And then the last one is to find your own mission. Find your mission. Um, as the church, we create these mission projects to kind of give you a taste for mission, give you a taste for making things right. Whether it's Christmas sharing project, Oaxaca, building a house, all these different things, these are ways for you to have a taste of making something right. But God is also calling you in a unique and specific way to use your gifts to meet a specific need in the world. How is God calling you to serve others and to make things right with your gifts? It can certainly be through your job and through your career. I would, in fact, I would even say if you can't imagine your career as an avenue for mission, for serving other people, then maybe you should find another career. God is calling us all to serve and to make things right in this world. So how is God calling you to do that? I think we go through mountaintops and I think we go through valleys. I think John the Baptist had a mountaintop moment when he, uh, when he baptized Jesus. And I think he had a pretty low valley moment when he was in prison. And whether we are on the mountain or whether we are on the valley, God calls us to look for the joyful and the good things that are happening because God's kingdom is coming. It is moving. Slowly but surely, all things will be made right. Continue to join God in that work. Continue to wait for God.